Welcome to Mastering Agility. If you want to listen to authentic conversations with the most inspiring guests, find like-minded people in the Mastering Agility Discord community or both online and face-to-face events, this is the platform for you. Grab a drink, sit back, and join professional scrum trainers Sandra Dorr, Jim Sammons, and their guests in an all-new episode. Hey everyone, this is Jim Sammons. I'm here with some extra special guests who are going to introduce themselves in just a second. And we're going to just see where this goes. We've had a busy two days here in London with our colleagues from Scrum.org. And we are going to talk about a couple topics and see where this goes. So let me hand the mic first to Ron. Tell us who you are and introduce yourself. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Ron Eringa. I'm a PST at Scrum.org for, I mean, maybe a decade already, uh, teaching PSM, PSPO. Um, was re- um, together with Ryan Ripley, responsible for the, the PALI class uh, at the Scrum.org. And what I do on a normal basis, I help organizations with their leadership development around agile teams. So that's basically, uh, you know, so... In terms of uh, how I divide my work, I'm, I'm trying to be my, with my feet in the mud teaching uh, leaders, but also I've been a leader myself for, for during the COVID period, uh, you know, uh, trying to not only talk about leadership, but also do it myself. So that's basically what I am, what I normally do. So, yep, giving that to the next one. Yeah, I'm Tony Hinckley. I've been a PST since, what, 2014 now, something like that. You can tell from the accent, the journey to the, the face-to-face in London wasn't quite as long for me as it was for some of the other people on the call. Um, I mean, my role is I'm tech leadership and CTO at Avenard in the UK and helped to build our agile capability for that company globally but my day job is working with big clients that are really struggling with implementing agile and enabling their engineering organizations to work with with agile techniques and scrum to actually deliver products and services so so i'm really down in the trenches working with teams at the coalface trying to make real products work with with this technology and you know sometimes that's tooling sometimes that's people problems a lot of the time it's organizational challenges so get a real spectrum and uh, yeah we'll see see where this conversation goes but it's going to be interesting my name is Stas Pavlov. I'm a, a professional Scrum trainer with Scrum.org and a, a product management consultant with uh, Pro Awareness. And right now, I'm mostly focused on uh, the training part of my job. Um, I've been a PST since last November, actually. So I'm the uh, the, the fresh uh, green one in the in the group. Um, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Um, my name is Jim Sammons. Most of you know me. I've been a PST, I think, since 2018. I met some of these gentlemen for the first time. Uh, these two days for us, I think I speak for everybody at the face-to-face. At it, they're exhausting, but so many conversations. I mean, whether it was talking to John Coleman about Kanban between a session or drinks over you know conversations over drinks about culture and products and the hearing the stories from each other about what we're facing what our clients are facing to me is invaluable it makes these trips well worth it to start us off uh, one of the things Ron and I talked about and I'd love to get everybody's opinion on this is this idea of maturity models 
And we could even start with the word maturity, but also if we step back and say, how does a team, a group, a department assess themselves and their capabilities? And how are we seeing that work in big companies? Where are they getting it right wrong? Where are they getting it wrong? And and we're all working with clients who have probably faced this. Um, I've created things in the past to help with this, but I it just always bothers me because I... Once it leaves my hands and my control, I have concerns about how it gets used. So we'll start with Ron and we'll see where we go. Yeah, and just to check that, but I think the concerns are about uh, how other people use their own mindset and use a maturity model, right? Um, yeah, that's one of the things. One other concern I've heard, because we, we have introduced a maturity model in the, in the PAL-E class. And one of the first thing I heard there was like, if you're going to use a maturity model, you're going to tell people that they they suck at what they do, right? And basically, there is a point to that. Um, it, what we, we we call it an agile maturity model based on the fact that if you look at many organizations, I think we're not using the full potential of agile yet in many of those organizations. So you get just a question there, like how how mature is agile in the company? Uh, many people confuse that with like saying to them in general, you're not mature. But that's not the case. We have created an agile maturity model. Um, and then again, if you create the maturity model and you do explain how they should use it, of course, it kind of depends on the mindset of the people that are going to use it itself, or use it themselves, uh, what happens with that stuff. And uh, yeah, from my experience with that is that uh, we, we've used it in a, in a fairly uh, good way with many teams. But as soon as it ends up in the hands of the, well, the more traditional thinking people in the organization, bad stuff start to happen. And maybe it's, yeah, I don't want to take the, the whole space right now, but I'm also curious what other people think of that and how that has developed for them. So, uh, yeah, interesting to, to just, you know, start with that and give it, give it to, uh, to someone else. So, so here we go. Yeah, I think we're just going to end up passing the mic around in the same order every time here. It's just easier. Um, I think the thing with any maturity model is it's giving you data, it's giving you insight, and it's how you choose to act on that insight that's the really important thing. There are more maturity models in circulation today than there are people trying to consume them, I think, as everybody must have created uh, so many of these. The danger is that they think it's a, sh a short-circuit way of you know changing their organization without having to change their mindset and so if your data is telling you something about where you could improve and you don't have a generative mindset where you want to learn and grow and improve then you either try and game the system next time round or you say well i'm still getting my job done and so and so what how is this helping me but if you really do want to to grow and develop and as an organization be able to link the impact that that maturity is having on your business and your success and and you know the impact it's having on your customers and your end users then i think it's a really powerful and really useful thing but any of these data points, like any data point, if you just take one in isolation, then it's not going to drive real positive change. But if you can say, I looked at these things, these dimensions about my people or my team or my, my company, um, and then I looked at how we were performing and I changed something, 
And then I saw how that was reflected in the maturity model. And I saw the impact that that maturity had on my product or my service or my customer satisfaction. Then it becomes really, really valuable. But a maturity model on its own, you know, it's, it's just a tool. We've got to work out how to use it. I yeah, I, I agree. It, I, t- I think it's a really double-edged sword. I think it's, it's very valuable as a conversational tool to see where are you right now and, and uh, uh, how much room is there left to grow. And I think uh, it's really effective, especially to understand, are you having the basics uh, in order? Like, are you doing the right things in, in order to even deliver value? And the way I usually tend to frame it when I'm talking about uh, maturity is it's not so much only about the individual it's also about the organizational. So when I'm talking about product management maturity, I frame it, this could be either your own behavior or uh, the organizational structure that will limit how effective you can be. I would also point out, this is not a linear a linear model. Uh, you could be doing parts of, uh, 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 of your role that you can consider being super mature while missing all of the basics and therefore not being as effective as well. I think the danger is... Uh, organizations taking that and then using it to grade people uh, uh, based on salary and, and experience and i think that that's a kind of worm that's that's uh, doesn't really help i've experimented with some of the uh, questionnaires that you can use out there to understand the maturity the only thing i could really tell for sure is the results gave uh, gave me a really good understanding of how good people answered the question and that's it that's the only thing i could tell for sure one um, one reflection, and th- there's a lot of appetite for this topic at the table, I'll tell you all that, and that's after two tiring days where most of us are away from home. So that tells you this is a, a hot-button topic, but a couple years ago, I was trying to get fit, more healthy, and my default focus was I'm going to look at the scale, and it wasn't going the right direction. It was kind of basically just staying the same, and I realized... That's not a great indicator of what I'm after. It is a very surface level goal. So I went and I talked to a couple people and I found out for I could drive 10 minutes away, pay $15, and I could get an entire body scan that was very medical and professional. And it helped me so much more because it was like, well, it gave me a data-driven baseline for where I was at today on a bunch of levels that a scale is completely blind to. And I think some of the maturity models are like that. I've, I've seen some and, and been asked to fill some out and, and administer some that are very metric driven. Like how many points have you done this? How many things have you released? How many, et cetera. And then there's also a balance of subjective things. How do you feel? Are you improving this? Are you working with so-and-so? And And I I would love to talk about the balance between when we think about maturity or capabilities, what's the right balance, in your opinion, between opinion and data? Well, I think everybody's going to have an an opinion on on the data as well, right? Um, But... I do think that there is some value in subjectivity um, because so many situations that we find ourselves in are contextual, right? And and there is no perfect data point or data set or maturity model that can give us all of that. And we're very good at judging context. And so in this situation, I feel that that score is is appropriate. Um, 
I mean, there is a there is a, 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 a trend that I've seen with clients and with teams that I've worked with where they turn maturity models and hard metrics into a comparison across lots of different teams in lots of different parts of the business and different people within the team all being measured, even though they're doing different roles and maybe are at different places in their career. And I think that becomes really dangerous. And so you still have to look at those metrics with a with a view, a bit of subjectivity, a bit of context, set different aspirations for different metrics at an individual level, at a team level, at an, at an organizational level. And so that human subjectivity, I think, is still really, really important. And no model should should detract from that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's good to also point out that um, – these tools can help you to uh, get the basics right, but whatever data you will add to it, at best, any maturity model is a leading indicator for a potential product success because you only know if you do build the right things after you've built it and delivered it to customers uh, and you've actually validated it. So those maturity models will give you an indication of are your teams mature enough to do this in, in, in theory, but it's not a guarantee that they will actually deliver the right stuff. Yeah, maybe to make this a little bit more tangible, uh, some of the things we discuss in a Pali class, for example, uh, is the, the metrics, right? What are the metrics? It, kind of comparable to what you just mentioned is that if you go to the doctor, you, they can measure stuff like in your body. But why is it cost? What's going on in the environment? And you need to figure that out as well. So only measuring stuff is not enough. You need to understand the system behind it. So what we what we tend to do with our clients when we use the maturity model is that we – well, the first thing I would do is join a sprint review. Just have a, and then observe what kind of conversations they're having. Look at what they're measuring. And we have these four categories that we use in EBM, like, you know, activities, output, outcome, and impact. Impact would be real impact on, on users and, and customers, uh, while activities is often about, you know, stuff that people do in the teams, stuff like that. So that's what we, so just observing a sprint review and what kind of conversations they have are already an indication of, of agile maturity and what's going on. But I think our ability to dive underneath to understand the mindset and to be able to measure that, that's the hard thing. And that's why we are currently working also with, with, with measuring culture. You know, what's the culture in the organization? Because I, somebody just mentioned that, that if it, you, you can't blame an individual for being mature at a certain level. It's always a reaction to what its environment was doing. So without that environmental measurement of what is the team doing, what's the organization doing, it doesn't make sense either. So you mentioned dimensions, and I think that's the kind of that's what we're using to measure maturities. What's the dimensions that we have to look at? And it's not only the individual stuff. You can't see that separately from organization and the teams and the context they're playing this in. Yeah, I think Stas brought up a great point, which is even if a team were to score or self-assess themselves off the charts in something, it doesn't mean that anything is going to hit the bottom line because that could be based on complete other factors out of their control that are not being assessed, reviewed, et cetera. So I think one other thing I will add is for the things that can be quantifiable and objective those should be easy to measure, so measure them. And I kind of talk about telemetry metrics. And I, I learned this from watching racing, like those cars going around the track at hundreds of miles an hour. 
they're recording thousands of data points constantly, whether they're, they're needed or not. But when you need them, you have them. And then you can extrapolate strategy and early warning signs, et cetera. Now, but there's other things that are impossible to measure. So I really want to get Ron's opinion here in a few minutes around measuring culture or even identifying things like culture and mindset. Because that's something my clients ask is they'll be like, oh, we want this mindset. Or I will ask them, what is your culture? And when I ask my clients, what is your culture? They normally rattle off whatever is on their intranet site or their website. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want the stuff that you say is your culture. I want to know how does it actually work? How If I go ask your teams, if I go observe your teams, how does work actually get done? Or what is the mood or mentality or approach of the company? And the gap between what they say it is and what it actually is tells me a lot. And it's never perfect. Like what I what I would tell you about myself versus maybe what an outsider would reflect back to me is, is not the same. I strive to make it more aligned with how I want to be and how I, I see myself. Sometimes I see myself more pessimistically than sometimes more optimistically others. But whenever we take these assessments, uh, I took a few recently and it said, do not answer this question the way that you want to be. Answer it the way that you currently are today. And I'm like, ah, that's a great reminder to do so. Yeah, and I've definitely done my fair share of personality profiles and, and you know, learn about yourself, your Myers-Briggs and various other models that, that are out there. I have to say that one of the most powerful things that I've experienced when thinking about culture is that 360 feedback, because I think it can be really difficult sometimes. You talked about team self-assessing and things like that, is that we all have a perception and maybe a default view of how we're performing and the things that we do in our day. And then when you start to see how other people observe you behaving then actually that that can be really revealing and and it can give you insight into yourself you can make you conscious of things that you were unconscious of before um and and that is something that was really helpful for me as i sort of grew as a as a as a leader in an organization it's behaving one way doesn't necessarily mean that you are perceived that way and so in a team as a you know individual contributor in a in a scrum team building a, a product like the actions that you perform and the impact you think they have if you don't have a a good retrospective if you don't have an open and transparent conversation if you don't inspect how those behaviors actually impacted the product and the service and the and the outcome then you're never going to improve. And so that feedback loop is really, really helpful. And assessing yourself is one thing, but being open to others' perspectives is really useful as well. It feels like a warm, fuzzy, cuddly topic to throw in when we're talking about maturity models, but technology is easy, people are hard, and we have to recognize that you know we have to make some slightly uncomfortable moments happen to really get a true view of how teams are performing, how people are performing. And if those things all stack up, that's how organizations perform. You know, it's it's the sum of all of the actions of all of the people in an organization that drive those outcomes. Yeah, very good points. And maybe to kind of tie this back to maturity, because 
Are we actually talking about culture here when we're talking about maturity? Because I get a lot of clients who will ask for uh, uh, some form of maturity update, like, uh, yeah, my product owners are not very mature. Can you help me to uh, increase their level of maturity? And sure, I, we can do, uh, do a bunch of things to change the process around it that will not change your culture. Uh, that takes a really long time. But this kind of made me wonder, like, if we're talking about maturity models, are we using the right words here? Because what we're really trying to do is, is uh, having the right culture to, in order to uh, help us reach our goals. Um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, point to, to, to look at it. Uh, but I think even before we answer the question if, if a maturity model is the right word, I think if we need to look at culture itself. What is culture in the first place? My definition of culture would be um, everybody that comes to work brings their own set of values, personal value systems that you use on a daily basis in the environment that you operate in, right? And the situation you live in will determine the way that you think about things. So um, you can influence culture. Yeah, but to, So to me, uh, culture is a set of individual value systems that operates at a team level, at an individual level, but also at the organizational level. Um, so... If then you talk about maturity, um, it's just like – so we've been using systems without going too deep into what we're using exactly, but you can identify multiple levels of value systems. To give you one example is if, if you're living in an abundant situation, like, you know, you make enough money and stuff like that, and there's, there's enough, you know, to, to get around and, and pay your mortgage and stuff like that, you start to think about different things than when that's not there. So that means that you're develop, you, you develop a new value system when there is abundance. When there's no abundance, if you have to fight for your survival, you are going to de develop a complete different value system. And I think that's we're, we're, we're using knowledge about that and we are identifying what are the value systems that play a role in here in, in the organization. So quick question for you on that. Are you, is there a connection there to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs? And the and i'll give you the mic back here in just a second but you know if our base needs as humans are met if we're feeling safe uh, we have enough food we have enough sustenance etc does culture get easier harder like uh when we go to work um because some of us when those basic needs aren't met we can't not go to work in fact not going to work creates a causal loop with us having less of those things yeah, that's entirely true. And you, you know, you mentioned Maslow's uh, uh, pyramid, which is like the the basic value system out there. When that is not there, of course, people are not going to talk about self organizing teams and all that kind of stuff. But there's like a, a few value systems in between, and and it's kind of like a Russian nesting doll, how it stacks, right? So, if that value system isn't there, not no other value system will develop. And then again, the next step is go through that other value system, and so all these value systems stack on top of each other. And unfortunately, this agile value system is a very new value system that's developing, but without the presence of all the other value systems, it's going to be very hard to, to develop that. So now if you look at a maturity model, uh, yeah, you could call that maturity. And I think, I mean, the, the, that's why we added agile maturity to ours in, in our class is because we're not talking about maturity in general, because in each value system, you can mature. Somebody can, can become very mature at the Maslow Pyramid kind of the value system out there. But that doesn't mean that we're able to, you know, uh, have group decision-making going on in a fair and honest way, right? 
So that's why we call it Agile Maturity Model, which is like the value system that we are aiming at. So whenever we are introducing Agile in an organization, I think we first need to understand all the other value systems that are below there in order to understand what we need to do to, to reach that level of maturity. And that also will determine what kind of dimensions we need to measure in order to measure maturity. And I think most of the maturity models out there that I've played around with in the past, they just look at one dimension or two dimensions, but they don't understand the culture beneath it. So I think it doesn't make any sense to do any maturity measurement in that sense without understanding how these value systems evolve over time. And I think that's what we're struggling with most, is that many organizations nowadays start their agile transformation. And when they ask for to measuring maturity, they don't actually know what they're actually asking for. They, they might be asking for, is Scrum mature? Or is Kanban mature? Or, but what are, we, what are we referring to when we talk about maturity? I'm talking about agile maturity in the sense that it's about um, the behavior, the mindset that's behind it. Because, uh, you know, uh, strategy is, is interesting, but strategy always follows culture in that sense. And I think that's basically what we're trying to achieve is to measure not only the, the KPIs, the, the tangible stuff that you look and see in the communication, that kind of stuff, but it's also what's, been, what's the driver beneath it. That's, to me, what culture is. I think it's easy to see how people get overwhelmed very easily when we're talking, and I should state, we're conflating a couple terms together. Like there's models or maturity models, and then there's assessments, and then there's there's 360 performance review. There's all these things, and I think we're we're kind of talking about them the same on purpose to say, how do we help people get better? But my example or, or my comment about how it can get out of hand pretty quickly is, let's say that we ask Ron to come in and assess our level of scrumness. <laughs> okay, well, to do that, we need to talk about how do we communicate and how do we collaborate. And then that touches other boundaries and that touches conflict and that touches where does work come from and how do we do this and where are these impediments? And it's not one thing. It's like that Russian nesting doll, and it's a system. And I I worked for years for a company that w I could have basically consumed 52 weeks a year just doing assessments. Like there, there is value in going into an organization as an outsider or to a team or a company or wherever and having an outside perspective because normally people like those of us around the table – we can maybe see a pattern that someone else can't see, not because we're any smarter, but because we're not in it. And we were talking about this at dinner last night, that this is a higher order skill being able to sense a pattern. And it is, doesn't mean you're any smarter. But one thing that seems to help me is seeing things in other people that I am blind to in myself. Like my best friend is and also happens to be a, a business leader, an agile coach. He can see things in me that I don't see. Doesn't mean they're not there. He's absolutely right, whether sometimes it pisses me off that he's right, but they're in my blind spot. And I think maturity models, assessments are a way of maybe helping a team see their blind spots. And I'm, I want to give one piece of good news. We, we've, it sounds like a lot of bad news, but I'm going to hand the mic off here in a sec. But I had a team and I've seen all different ends of the spectrum. And some teams will over assess their capabilities, some teams will under, some are a little more pragmatic where maybe I agree with them, but I was observing a team going through a self-assessment and I said, wait, why do you think you're not good at that? 
And they're like, well, we're not. You know, we're three out of five. This is in a big Fortune 100 fintech. And I said, well, but what about this, this, and this? And I gave them three examples just from the last couple of weeks of areas where I saw them excelling in there. They're like, oh, yeah, okay. And then I said, and what about this? And we pulled up some metrics to say, you know, you might feel like you're you suck at this, but these metrics are all going in the right order. Your your customers are happy. This is not a problem anymore. That's one of the those are the great days for me when I can reflect back to somebody, you've actually came a lot further than you might think. So it's not all doom and gloom, but I think like in life, it's how it's used. Yeah, and again, yeah, great points. But um, one thing that uh, I'm reminded of as well is during this conversation, when, uh, uh, we also had uh, uh, somebody asking today, uh, what do we mean with Scrum Master being responsible or accountable for Scrum team effectiveness? It seems to me like we might be saying that as a Scrum Master, when you're accountable for Scrum team effectiveness, we're also ref, ref, uh, referring to maturity in, in the sense that we're uh, talking about it in this, in this conversation. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Happy to hear your thoughts. I mean, effectiveness is about how we're delivering on the outcomes and the goals that we've set out to achieve. Um, and going back to my, my sort of earlier point about baselining all teams and saying this team's more mature than that team. I've worked with teams with high velocity that produced large numbers of features, who had good code quality, who had really dissatisfied end users. <laughs> and and so it's, it's linking back effectiveness, really. The whole reason any of us get paid is to provide value to some end user how we do it and how we go about doing it is is like different for, for different teams. But that should be the ultimate measure of effectiveness is for the money I'm willing to spend in the time I'm willing to wait, you deliver this much value to this very important user for, for, for my business. Um, and if as a scrum master, you have a team that might have low code quality and load velocity, low velocity and has extremely high end user satisfaction on a product that flies off the shelf, that's a, that's a win. And then could you make them more effective if you change some of those other dimensions about how they perform and how they interact with each other and their throughput, which might be important to somebody in an organization? Um, yeah, you can absolutely do that. But you have to start with, are you delivering on the goal and uh, and I think that sometimes gets lost. And we talked yesterday, Ron, when we were in a in a session about large agile transformations, about how lots of organisations they just focus on the structure. I have to put this tool in. I have to put this practice in. I have to put this structure in, and they don't focus on the culture and and the mindset. Well, if everybody's just focused on the the hard metrics and the structures and, and everything else and they lose the mindset and the culture of delivering value, delighting customers, you know, respecting colleagues, you know, all of those other things that actually keep an organization running, then that's a problem. And I think a lot of maturity models aren't going to show you that. And that's where blowing our own trumpets as consultants and coaches and things like that, a coach coming in who's got some experience of working in other organizations, who has a, 
an external opinion who, to your point, isn't mired in this is how we've always done it. And um, tell me how I measured. I'll tell you how I perform. All right. So I'll let this slide because it's not hitting my metric uh, or it's not my problem or something else. Having somebody come in and give you that external point of view is really powerful, whether they do it with a maturity model or not. Um, I think that 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 is a is a useful data point. Yeah, maybe uh, to to start with the goal you just mentioned, which is I think an interesting starting point to, to think about maturity models, is that if I as a coach, agile coach in an organization, come in when you talk about goals to me, it would be about creating value or maybe even solving you know huge problems for for society, right? That's driven from a certain value system. But very often I end up in a conversation uh, with uh, the, the, the shareholders of the company and they just care about one thing, making money, which is driven by a complete different value system. So even when you start to talk about goals, some people mean something very different with that with, than other people. So I think it starts with developing a, a language to understand what we are talking about. So it's the, you know, what what what's gone, what's the value system behind that when we talk about goals when somebody says you know what's my goal well making money or my goal is maybe keeping people compliant if you're in a regulatory business and I've, I've worked with a number of banks where they have like enormous issues around regulatory stuff keeping people compliant to these rules is again a different value system and they have a relationship with the other ones so if you talk about goals only it only makes sense to talk about that stuff if you understand the system beneath it underneath it and that means that we we first need to develop a language to understand these value systems and what i liked you said something about the 360 degree feedback so imagine throwing six different people in a room who all have a dominant different value system and then you're going to talk about giving each other 360 feedback but all six of them are driven by a different value system you're going to get very interesting team dynamics going on so i think if you do 360-degree feedback, and actually it's interesting because we're developing something like that where teams can, you first have to give them a language to, to speak with each other on, on terms of, you know, what, what would be your definition of a goal be? Or what was the term that we just used uh, in the session you referred to? Um, effectiveness. I mean, effectiveness for somebody that's driven by compliancy looks very different than to effectiveness by somebody who's driven by solving world problems, right? And having that language with each other, yeah, helps you better understand, I think, also how you would do a 360-degree feedback session if you talk about maturity. And I think that's kind of the basics. So doing any maturity assessment without understanding these languages is very hard. And I think that's what we need to aim at. Yeah. So one of the ways I would answer the scrum team effectiveness i think would first getting alignment that it's the scrum master or whatever person is in that type of a role is helping the team achieve their goals and what ron i think is highlighting is sometimes there's four people i talk to in a company and i say what what would you like me to focus on and i get four very different answers sometimes those are different answers but not in conflict but i would say that all too often at least one or two of them is is in conflict and consultants, coaches, managers, leaders, VPs, everybody has somebody they answer to. And what I see is colleagues like of mine and myself have been put in the situation where it's like, I can't please everybody. If I, do I please that person or this person? 
or what's going to give me the best chance to help myself further my own goals, further this, further that. And again, it, it just gets super hard. Um, I think just to bring it back to a tangible thing and this idea of 360 feedback, because we were talking about this, uh, Tony and Ron and I at the lunch table the other day is, um, and I'll give everybody a chance to, to give any advice here, but two quick pithy pieces of advice. One is don't try, and if you're looking at yourself or your team, don't try and solve every problem. One great piece of advice that I got from a, from a colleague a couple of years ago is, Jim, you don't have to solve all of the problems. You just have to solve a problem. Help the team or you help us solve a problem and there will be more problems. And then you can do the next one and the next one. And then you get this snowball effect. So first, start small. Second is one of the only 360 review structures I've ever been a part of that I thought this was awesome. It feels great. Was called a career retro. And it was a way of kind of taking this idea of 360 feedback or seeking feedback from multiple sources and distilling it down to what the individual in this case needed is awesome. And I think when I see models, assessments, et cetera, used helpful, it it has that common thread. Like it's a, the team assessing themselves or the group assessing itself and then saying, based on what we all now can see, which is transparency, what do we want to do? But not what 20 things do we want to do? What one or two things do we want to do? And then maybe all I have to do is help remind them of that if their focus ever strays from focusing on those and et cetera. I, no, I've I really, I, the conversation over lunch was awesome. Anybody who's um, like wondering, well, these guys get two days to just hang around with other really smart people and eat lunch and talk about big, big ideas. That's exactly what we do. It's brilliant. Um, one of the things we talked about at lunch was like this, this concept of career growth and development, um, specifically technology leadership is one of the things that, that we talked about. And I've got a career advisor, a guy who I really respect. He won't be listening to this, so I'm happy to call him out by name. That's Paul. Um, and he he gave me a really great bit of advice, which was, if you want to continue to, to grow and improve, you, you can do that by helping lots of other people. Um, but actually, the best thing you could do is to focus on helping the right people with the with the right problems. So I could help a hundred people solve their individual problems, but if I don't look at them and say, are these the maybe I'd be better off picking the three right things to focus on helping the people with, and that would have a much bigger impact. And so in a sort of very tenuous way, linking that back to what we were talking around with um, you know transformations, improvement, maturity models, there are probably a hundred things that any organization could go and fix to be more mature in their agile implementation. You can't do them all at once. Uh, so you have to really focus down on the the first thing and the first few things that you should do and really make those stick. And I'm doing a performance uh, tuning exercise for a client right now. And the guidance that I gave to the team is performance tuning is a process of continually moving the bottleneck. 
And agile transformation is the same. Every time you solve one problem, a new problem will become the most important problem, the thing that is slowing down your organization the most. And so to the point that you made at the beginning, this isn't a one-time exercise. You have to keep going back and doing this. Um, and you and you have to keep reprioritizing and reevaluating the situation. So that's um, yeah, that that's let just. Me, let me play devil's advocate there, Tony. That that just sounds like consultant speak for keep me around a long time, pay me a lot of money because there's always problems to solve. Yes. How would you respond to that? I I might have a, an interesting tip to that because every time I come into a company as a consultant, uh, I find a situation in terms of maturity. Of course, I've seen more mature organizations than others. And what you typically want as a consultant, you want them to bring them to that level. Whose problem is that? That's my problem. I come in there, I have that conflict. My customer doesn't. So the only thing I can do is try to put that, get rid of that conflict or disable that in my brain, try to see their problem. And since we have seen many transformations, we know what the next level is. And it's not about skipping stuff because if you want to move too fast and they can't, you know, comprehend that, you're going to introduce more problems. And I think that would be my tip based on, I, I hope that's a little bit what you meant with the question, but that's, that's, I learned mostly from this is that I don't need to push them to level five or whatever level that they are when they are at level one. Uh, and of course you always have a choice. Like if, if I want to bring organizations to level five, I'd better be looking for jobs organizations are at level four because they can't skip levels it's it's like you have to you know that's how kids grow mature as well you know you can't you, you won't give them the keys to your car right away um so yeah that's that's how i would look that okay yeah sorry i just you, you used a phrase in the meeting yesterday which was like you have to be half a step ahead of them if you're behind them, you're holding your back, holding them back. If you're too far ahead of them, then they can't keep up. But just that half step ahead in terms of where you're thinking and where you're taking them to, that's a sustainable pace that they can keep pace with. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point. And I think making it too big is a good way to uh, have them lose interest or have them lose motivation. Uh, but I really liked your point as well. Uh, I, I think as you run, it, is, it would be really helpful if we were to create um, uh, like a language around what we mean with maturity and effectiveness. And that could be really helpful for Scrum Masters, Product Owners, Agile Coaches, and leaders to uh, uh, get grips on, on how are we doing and where, where, what are some potential areas to improve rather than how can we grade people uh, so we can uh, uh, pay them more or less. Yes, yes. Well, you, well ex I expect that on my desk by Monday morning. So we're about to get kicked out of the room here, like like any good uh, uh, trainers or consultants, right? So to wrap this up, um, and, and I'm going to give the the table the last word. But what I I forget who said it, but what I describe is what I call problem whack a mole. So when you if you are playing problem whack a mole, you solve a problem, new problems are going to pop up, whether you see them now or not. As long as you're solving really big, impactful problems or not staying blind to them and you are not just, you know, constantly on this hamster wheel of solving the same problem over and over again, that's a fine game to play. And my tip in the way that, um, as Ron was talking about, like building this culture uh, as consultants, I don't know sometimes how much time I'm going to get with any team and any organization or even with the client as a whole. So what I try and do 
even if I don't solve any of their problems or help them solve their own problems, ideally, is can I get them to see their problems and build a structure of them to see their problems and problem solve? And that could be like bringing in a, a structured problem solving technique. It could be getting people to talk, could be dealing with conflict. But man, if I could look back and say the last three clients, I didn't do anything for them, but I helped them develop a way to do it for themselves. That That's a huge win for me. And uh, the last thing I'll comment, because man, like my brain's going on a thousand miles because, you know, when you said you have to hit every step, it's like, yeah, the, the, the yin and the yang there is the the people or the teams or the individuals that say I'm good enough improving like yeah I solve one small problem I'm that's good enough but there are other people who are like you know their 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 glasses half empty they're like I got to solve more I got to be better you know and I think any on any given day any of us could be on that spectrum but what I like to think is I no matter how much I want to immediately be like the mountain from Game of Thrones and be six ten and able to deadlift a thousand pounds. He can only do that by a bunch of incremental steps and doing 100 pounds and then 150 and then 300, right? Like you can't just go from nothing to a movie star without putting in the time at the other steps. And you can maybe run up some of them very quickly and other ones might take a a lot longer time. But maybe when we come back together, if we can do that, we can talk about what is that scene? And this is again, <laughs> to Tony's point, it does sound like we have a lot of fun, but over lunch, we're ta- we talked about how do you deal with somebody who doesn't want to improve or a lot of the materials out there, whether it's a TED talk or a book believes, and, and I believe this, that everybody wants to do good work, but not everybody is in the right frame of mind or has the time or the capacity right now to focus on improvement. And I think the right environment to do so, right? Right. And I think that's okay, but that's probably an entire hour by itself. So this is Jim. I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to give each person a chance to, to say their last piece, and maybe you'll hear more from this group in the, in the near future. Yeah, that's a, a good. So what would be my last piece? Um, you know, any maturity model can be used in the wrong way. That's, that's basically what, what it comes down to. And, um, it's taking step-by-step approaches, but also helping everybody move in, in the same pace. Because if you move too fast, you're going to lose people in the process. So whatever maturity model you are about to lose, uh, think about the culture and how that relates to the environment. And also, you know, take smaller steps like was said before. So that's that would be my uh, five cents there. Yeah, and I think that if you're going on a transformation, make sure you've got a product owner for it make sure you've got somebody who can help to prioritize and make sense of all of the potential change that could happen and you know inspect and validate and and do all of that stuff that we talk about for products your transformation is got to be managed like a product and uh, somebody needs to keep an eye on all of that and maturity models is a tool absolutely but you know it's not a uh, it's not a golden hammer yeah, I, I I fully agree with both points. And I would add to that, whatever maturity model you're using, uh, don't focus on it too much because the other side of it is you need to deliver value and talk to your customers and understand if you have delivered value. If you're being, if you're focusing a lot on maturity but not delivering, ultimately you're being very busy whilst being stuck in a traffic jam. Awesome, that's it. That is all for today. Thank you for listening. 
If you liked this episode, let us know by hitting that like button, share it with friends and colleagues, sharing a message on LinkedIn, joining our warm and welcoming Discord community, or attend recordings of the virtual audience. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes. We hope you'll tune back in for the next episode of the Mastering Agility Podcast. Thank you.